Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. We've been studying uh, in a series called The New Neighbor. And The New Neighbor has taken us from Genesis to Revelation. We've gone from Jesus being talked about in Colossians 1 and talking about Genesis 1 through 3 where the same God who created, spoke the world into existence was none other than Jesus himself. Then we studied in Exodus for two Sundays and we talked about God dwelling with us and we talked about coming out of Egypt and then God saying, Moses, I'll go with you, which was a huge deal because they had built the golden calf. And God and Moses is like, I can't go unless you're going with you, with us. And God said, My presence will go with you. And then from there we go into the remember we just studied everything about the beautiful tabernacle. Everything that went into it, and we converted that close to American dollars and said it was $38 million and just the gold and silver and bronze that went into it. So when God says, I want to dwell with you, it's a big deal. And he tends to show up in big ways and make his imprint huge upon the matter. Then that climaxed also when we got to Jesus being Emmanuel, God taking on flesh. And remember when we went to John and John says, hey, Jesus dwelled with us. It was a big, big deal. And today we're going to look at what it means to have God dwell within us for now and then forevermore. As we get started, you ever had that favorite dog, cat, gerbil, (laughs) goldfish? They're with you. It's amazing how attached people get to animals. And you think back, and I'm thinking, well, I had to pick a beagle for mom and dad being in here. I think I had 33 of them. And I always had a beagle, and always wanted to name Sally or whatnot. So I can remember, then we had a black lab named Crackers. He was there for a duration. He was there for a cool time. He was like the, the dog that when dad would want to wake us up, he would launch him in, and he would find the hole in the blanket and burrow his nose right in there. You have these attachments to these animals. If you were to go into the office down the hallway here, there's this picture with a stunning resemblance to one of my favorite dogs. It's just right there. He went from bachelorhood to introduction of Deb and the entire McLeod family. We have these attachments. But how long are dogs around? How long, well, goldfish, we get those at the fair, and the kids name them, or the gerbils, they get loose, and Geronimo eats one or something. That's the name of their little dog, Geronimo. But you get attached to them. How long are they there? Is it one year for us, or seven years for a dog? This morning, think of that and your attachment to them and then how temporal that is. 
Because when God makes his dwelling with us, we're going to answer the hard question this morning. Okay, Pastor Todd, you've talked about Genesis. That was a really long time ago. You talked about Exodus. That was a long time ago. You talked about the tabernacle. That's a really long time ago. Then they replaced that with the temple. Then, you, okay, you talked about Jesus on Christmas Eve 2,000 plus years ago. Why do I care? That's for old dead Jews who are now dusty. Well, God today. God with us today. It isn't temporal. It isn't an old story. It's something we can walk out of here today and say, God with us. God is my new neighbor. Because our new neighbor dwells with us now and then forevermore. Today and then on into eternity. And if you would, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Does anybody need a story Bible? If you have one, it's on page 790. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's start in verse 16. God within us today. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Pretty clear cut, isn't it? As followers of Jesus Christ, look, when you open up your Bible there, the first 16, do you not know that you, if you're from the south, you'd say, you all. Hey, y'all. The you here is plural. For those of you who follow Jesus Christ, every single one of you, remember how incredibly important it was where God built his tabernacle. It was one place, one time, and it was cool to be able to go there to meet God. Paul makes a stunning revelation right here. and says, hey, you now house the Holy Spirit. God's dwelling place is in you. You're the tabernacle. It's amazing. All of you, all of you who have decided to follow Jesus, you are God's temple. The holy meeting place. Remember the tabernacle, the value, the beauty, and the grace. You, all of you who claim Jesus are God's domain, property, place. God's residence spot. God's literally dwelling inside his people. It's precious. It's protected. And God keeps a close eye on his people in a very unique way. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 7 say this. Since indeed God considers it just to replay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant you relief to you who are afflicted as well to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. First, Second Thessalonians chapter 1, basically says, Paul's comforting the Thessalonians because they're under intense persecution. God's watching you. Holy Spirit lives within you. Those who afflict you, when Jesus returns, the perfect, just, judgment rider on the horse, 
will replay affliction for those who have afflicted his people. He's keeping an eye on you. It will be paid back by God himself. Take comfort in that. How do I take comfort in that? You can't mitigate every circumstance. We've been studying through this with Ecclesiastes. It's all vain. We can't, all of us die. The just, it rains on the just and the unjust. It's not fair. This life isn't fair. I follow Jesus and bad things happen to me. But God's got an eye on you. And not only does he have an eye on you, you are where his Holy Spirit resides. He's got first-hand account. And when he comes back, he will mitigate vengeance on those who did that to you. God takes his dwelling place incredibly serious. Because God's people are distinct, unique, different. What other words should I use there? If something is distinct, sanctified, unique, holy. Only God can take a spiritually dead thing, us, hit the defibrillator pads to it and say, here's, this, here's new life in me and call that holy. Remember what they had to go through to make the tabernacle holy? It took a whole lot of work. Scratch your head for a second. You're telling me that I accept Jesus Christ today. Boom, I turn into something holy. Did you get to do anything to earn it? Is it the well, how well you put everything together? How well you got everything aligned inside? It's the Holy Spirit's work that goes in there. Jesus says, hey, I paid for that sin. The Holy Spirit moves in and says, this then is now is holy. It's distinct. It's, it's distinct and it's set apart for me. Now, we'll flip over a couple pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with Christ. So glorify God in your body. The Holy Spirit takes up his dwelling in each follower of Jesus. As God has always done, this is after spiritual preparation. What am I saying? They built the tabernacle. They put everything in there. Then they had to anoint it and get it spiritually prepared. The priest could put on all of his expensive garments. Remember, all the gold on it, all the fine gems, all the 12 stones. Were they ready to serve yet? They had to be spiritually prepared for the Holy Spirit to come in. It has to be spiritually prepared. You have to be spiritually prepared. How are you spiritually prepared? Do you go to the, take a shower, a spiritual shower, to get ready? No, it's accepting who Jesus is as your Lord and Savior and say, I want to follow him. His blood washes you. You are declared clean. Then the Holy Spirit moves in. That then is a holy spot. As God has always done, he moves in after spiritual preparation. By the way, we're not qualified to do this on our own. God, Jesus has done that work. The work declared victorious because of his resurrection. When he rose from the grave, it was God saying, that is payment in full. I accept that last sacrifice. Look, verse 20. For you were bought with a price. 
the expensive price of God sending his own son. Death and his burial and his resurrection. You were bought with that price. So then what? Glorify God in your body. This is not passive. This isn't, I just get something. I go to the cosmic Coke machine of Jesus' love, put in a couple of prayers of I want a little bit of God, boom, out comes my, hey, I'm good now. I can be whatever I want. I got me some Jesus. I walked down aisle 43 years ago. I was in this tough spot, and I prayed to God once. What's Paul saying here? What is God asking you to do? You've been bought by a price, so what? Glorify him in your body. What does glorifying God look like? Reflecting back to him his glory. I am not mine. You are you, you, I am now yours. What I do now reflects who you are. That takes a lot of work. That is not just passive. We are asked to follow Jesus from the time we accept him till the time we die. Or until he comes back. This is active participation. We get to participate with this. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What's a calling? God says, I want you. Are you going to accept me? Knocks at the heart. I want you. Are you going to answer? Yes or no? Today's the day you can blow with it. Will you accept him today? Yes or no? So if you say yes, he says, okay, now follow me. He's calling you. So you follow. There's a manner of walking with him. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. What does that look like? Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing another in love, eager to maintain the unity of peace. The world watches us as Jesus' followers and says, how patient are they? How peaceful are they? Do they actually get along with one another? I would say you get more than three people together and they are bound in peace. They get along with one another. They love one another. It's the greatest miracle that's ever happened, including when Jesus came and turned bread and water to wine. The work of the Holy Spirit in a group of individuals who God gets to call to himself from way varied circumstances and background and says, get together, come together, love each other, walk together and follow Jesus and reflect what I look like, God says. That's a miracle. That's God working in us. And that's what the world is watching to see if it actually happens. Because how many of us have heard, we all a bunch of hypocrites? Is that a new idea? It's coming right straight from the Word. Paul says, if you follow Jesus, then act like it. Where do we get the power to be able to do that? From studying God, being with Him and His Word, and other people. You don't get to do this by yourself. I want me some Jesus, but leave me alone. I'm going to go sit in a hunting stand. Give me some Jesus. I'm going to go walk around the dog park all by myself. Give me some Jesus. I'm going to go hang out and ride my Harley all by myself. Go ride a horse all by myself. Now, there's times of refreshment being by yourself, but you're called to a community to be together, to use your spiritual gifts for the edification of one another and for following Jesus as a community. When Jesus says he died for his church, his bride, we're going to read later in Revelation where she's adorned like her wedding day. They bring all of them together, and the words are singular. She's his bride. But we get to participate. 
But I want you to think for, with me for a second. God the Father dwelled where? The tabernacle. God the Son dwelled where? Emmanuel. Jesus Christ showed up, took on flesh, and literally was God in the flesh, Emmanuel, 2,000 some years ago. Where does God dwell today? In us. The Holy Spirit. All living followers. Trace this through. This is why it's really exciting to study the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. All three, figure, all three parts of the Godhead are involved here with dwelling. And to understand, that's why we started with the tabernacle. Look how valuable it was for God to dwell in the tabernacle. How much grace was extended to his people who did not deserve it. Who are a bunch of ruffians. Who just got done sacrificing and doing stupid stuff to another cult. They, didn't, they weren't highly qualified for the gig. That's why we started there with God's dwelling. Then God the Son shows up. And that's what we celebrate this time of year. Emmanuel. God taking on flesh to be with his people. What was such a big deal about that? Because he was on a mission to the cross as the last sacrifices that were used in the tabernacle. Now today we have the Holy Spirit who takes up his residence in those who follow him. Wow. Spoiler alert. We got one more thing coming that's going to make all things new. All things new. So God is with us today through asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to choosing to follow him and the Holy Spirit taking up residence in us. So what about tomorrow? What about forever? Is it done when I die? You're going to run into people who are going to think this. It's all done when I die. YOLO. God with us forevermore. Turn with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll pick up in verse 8. If you have one of the story Bibles, this is on page 860s. 2 Peter chapter 3. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens, and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
Therefore, beloved, dear ones, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. The world as we know it will be drastically changed. I have no idea exactly how. I don't have the details from that, just what God's word says here. Global warming will eventually happen to the point it all burns up. The world we know will someday be drastically and cataclysmic changed. God, as he is, always has been, is slow to anger, but certainly will fulfill his promises. Do you catch that there? God, hey, in a day, in God's mind, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. He sits outside of time. I can be as patient as I want. I can be as fast as I want. He's given us at least 2,000 years of patience between the time he declared Jesus until his judgment comes. The time between, hey, I'm going to judge this, and the time of his judgment actually coming is called what? Grace. The time between your mom says you don't correct it, I'm going to spank you, and the spanking is called grace because she's giving you a chance to repent, to change your ways, to alter your behavior. God says, I eventually will do what I promise to do. You don't know when it's coming, and it's on my time scale. But when I come back, I will be the same God who has always been. On the one hand, we got the God of love. He is all loving. We studied through that with First John. But he is also the God who never breaks his word. And he says, I will judge someday. And that day is coming. The God of love is illustrated in his grace. Judgment is coming, and I'm giving you time now to repent. You have now started the next day of your life. Today. You don't even know if we have tomorrow. So the time between now, receiving this information, what Jesus did for you, and the time whenever your death is grace. Because at that given point, he's judged. But he's sure to fulfill his promises. Judgment. God in his perfect righteousness will perfectly judge all matters. It's one of the things that really fires us up. When justice isn't met. When the good guy gets pegged with doing the wrong. The best surefire way of messing up any movie in America is let the good guy fail and the bad guy win. Even though we look around life every day and it's happening. I've also been studying that in Ecclesiastes. How do we... Mom! Ineptitude gets promoted. Rick nodded his head. He was in the military. Sarah... It's not fair. And we cry out for justice. The chief judge and executioner of everything and doing it in a perfect way is Jesus himself. The all-knowing God, all-powerful God says, I will come back and judge this. It isn't your business. Don't worry about it. In fact, it's going to blow your mind until you get there and then you will be with me. But I got it. It isn't up to you. So his grace is in, hey, judgment is coming, but his also his grace is in salvation. Looky there. Verse 9. Not wishing that any should perish. 
God wants every single person to accept the free gift of Jesus Christ. He's incredibly patient for that. He's giving us plenty of time, plenty of opportunities, plenty of interactions with those who know and love Jesus. So then how should you live? It comes back to that. We're not just talking about some long, far future. But it has practical implications on how we live today. If you don't know Jesus this morning, God's waiting. He's being patient. If you do follow Jesus, illustrate through your life an exhibition of what it means to be a follower of Jesus through word and action. Let what comes from your heart come out your hands and your feet. Then match that when people ask you, what is the hope that's in you? How come you're, where's this joy coming from through this fickle world? How come the book of Ecclesiastes used the word joy clear through it, same amount like it does with vanity? When comes to, someone comes to you with the hard questions, can you sit down and actually have the relational equity to be able to answer them, talk through with them? Because people want to know. They hunger for the relationship, and then through those relationships, you get the opportunity to say, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? This applies even today. God with us now and then forever. Move your finger back to Revelation 21, page 880. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. The prophecy that Peter gave of the world burning up and it changing to be a new heaven and new earth is now given more details in Revelation 21. There will literally be a new heaven and new earth someday. This world is pretty jacked up. Mosquitoes. Fire ants. Move from the north, come down, and you do not play in the dirt anymore. To the woe of many a small child and my feet. There will be a new earth, a new heaven. As God beautifully created in the garden, he's planning on doing that again. Genesis to Revelation, garden to garden. And this will be our final dwelling place. The final 
dwelling place. Move with me, if you will, Revelation 21, chapter 3. Chapter 21, verse 3. Find the word dwelling there. See it? This is really, really cool. The word John uses here is the made-up word, the same word he did in John 1. Jesus, God's going to tabernacle with you. God wants to tabernacle with you. He wants to dwell with you. Not only Jesus take on flesh and tabernacled with us, but God in the end says, I want to live with you. I want to tabernacle with you. Now that we've studied all this in Exodus, and when we get to Revelation 21, we're like, whoa, he wants to tabernacle, live, dwell, be with his people. And it's going to be God himself tabernacling with us. There will be unfettered interaction between God and man. No more holy of holies. No more sacrifice and trying to, to get in to, to see God. No more I found Jesus on the cross. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to live my life, and someday I will spend eternity with him. This is all past tense now. Past tense. Way long in the past tense. Now God in his three persons, super glory that Moses couldn't come into, is unfettered. No problem interacting with you and your God. All in his mighty glory, God will be with his people. Sometimes I get really aggravated and I have to bite my tongue because people, when people, you hear people say this when somebody dies, well, at least he gets to be a carpenter in the sky. Or he gets to be a farmer in the sky. Or he gets to walk dogs in the sky. Or whatever people like to do. It's not about us. The story has never been about us. It's been reconciliation between God and us. And eternity isn't what's going to be cool for us, but who we get to spend eternity with. Heaven is way beyond our, our comprehension. It's the cool factor is we get to be with God, unfettered, no sin, and he doesn't have to do anything to get us there. We get to spend eternity with him. Remember what Moses said? God, if you won't go with this, we're not going. And God's response was, my presence will be with you. How big a deal was the word presence there? Huge. Now, eternity. My presence will be with you. There will be no more sin, no more pain, no more suffering. Think about it on the other side. The full presence of the mighty Lord of the universe, the Lord of hosts, the commander of the armies, right there. Heaven is less about what's not there than what is. Get this straight this morning. It's not so much about 
There's no more sin. There's no more suffering. There's no more tears. It's the full-on presence of God. Unyoked from whatever holds us back right here and right now. The full premises of God in Exodus that he promised to Moses comes completely true in Revelation 21. In the new heavens and the new earth. So as we look at what it means to follow Jesus today, we have him, the Holy Spirit, living within us, taking up residence, dwelling with us. The Holy Spirit right now. And forevermore. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.